In the year 1536, William Tyndale, after a life of fleeing persecution, uh, was standing tied to a pole, uh, about to be strangled, and then burned to death at the pyre. And his dying words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Open the king of England's eyes. And why was William Tyndale there burned at the stake? It's because as a scholar, he discovered Erasmus's Greek New Testament. For the first time in ages, the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament were published so that scholars across Europe could read them. And as Tyndale read, along with other brothers and sisters of the faith whose eyes were opening to the gospel, he saw that the Roman Catholic Church had perverted the scriptures and perverted the doctrines of our Lord. And that the Roman Catholic Church had made a whole system of penance and all these things that you had to do in order to hopefully seek God's forgiveness. And darkness was reigning in the church, visible. And so William Tyndale's greatest passion and desire would be to give the people of England the Bible in their own mother tongue, in their own language. And before that, there was a, 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 an English translation that was going about by Wycliffe kind of secretly, but it was a copy of the Latin Vulgate, so it, it continued the errors. So for the first time in England's history, William Tyndale was working at giving, given, giving a translation in English of the Bible from the Hebrew and from the Greek. And because of that, the Roman Catholic Church was seeking to kill him. And the bishops in England were seeking to kill him. And so he had to flee to the Netherlands and do his work there. And he left home and never returned. Tyndale would have to move around to uh, avoid being captured by uh, the enemies of truth. And at one point, a man came over who pretended to be his friend and to learn from him. And that friend turned out to be a traitor and gave up his location to the authorities. And William Tyndale was, was captured and was burned at the stake. But he prayed that the Lord would open the King of England's eyes, and God indeed answered that prayer. And not long after Tyndale's death, God's word was published to the English people in England in their own mother tongue for the first time from the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. And the light went on in England for many and went forth from there. And even as the light was beginning to shine in 
Germany in the Lutheran movement through the work of Luther and his translation work. That same kind of work was happening in England, which spread to Ireland and Scotland and eventually to the New World uh, in America and to the ends of the earth. And so much of that was from one man who fought against the darkness. And though for a time it seemed like the darkness won, the light overcame and the word was spread. And while I was raising support for the mission to come here, I kept in my Bible a picture of William Tyndale. Uh, my son has, uh, William, do you have, can you hand me that Bible for a second? I'm not sure if I left the picture in there or not. Um, William's been, no, it's not in there anymore. Um, but I have this picture of William Tyndale. It's a very famous portrait of him. And he's, he's standing there and he's got a Bible in his hand and he's pointing at it. And the, there's a, 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 a superscription underneath or a, a saying underneath. It's in Latin, but in English uh, to translate it, it says to scatter Roman darkness by this light. The light of the word to scatter Roman darkness by this light. The loss of land and life, I'll reckon slight. The loss of land and life, I'll reckon slight. Tyndale longed to go home, but he gave up home. He gave up everything. He gave up his very life to scatter the darkness of Roman Catholic theology with the light of the word of God. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Well, we are here in a new age, in a new time, but we are heirs of theologians like Tyndale. And our translations, English and Norwegian, are greatly affected by these forerunners in the Reformation that gave up everything for the word. But in this passage today, as we turn to John 8, we are going to learn about the word who gave up everything and yet was not overcome. But the reality is, whether it's in Jesus' day or in William Tyndale's day or in our day, we are in mortal combat with darkness. We are in mortal combat with darkness. There are two peoples in this world. And there are two fathers, a true father and a pretended father. There is the light and there is the darkness. And only one shall live and the other shall die. And when we stand for truth in this world, we are combating and fighting against the forces of darkness. There is a reason why people hate you if you tell the truth. That's why if we talk about identity today, we talk about gender. That's why people will even defy science and biology because they hate the truth. And ultimately, they hate God. That's the reason why you will be slandered. It's the reason why I have no doubt 
that something bad is going to be published about Brua Presbyterianska Churka. I'm sure in the newspaper at some point. You are going to make a lot of people mad by what you're doing. Before we even came over, a journalist found out about us in Bergen, and I think I was called a sexist, a bigot, and uh, I forget what the other thing was. Uh, uh, Anyways, it wasn't nice. It's going to happen. If you stand for truth, the darkness is going to come after you. And we read about the reality of that in John 8 as we see it happen to our Lord himself. But we also here find a promise of hope as well as a a call to obedience. And that's what we will look at this morning as we study John chapter 8. Hovar preached last week from John chapter 7 and showed how there's this increasing resistance to Jesus. And uh, Hovar quoted a, a well-known pastor from the Stavanger area who's been known to say, if people only knew Jesus better, then they would come to him. They would love him. They would embrace him. But that's absolutely wrong. The more Jesus reveals the truth about who he is, the more the world hates him, the more they resist him. And we're going to see more of that in John chapter 8. Now, you might be asking, why are we skipping over the first 11 verses of chapter 8? And the reason why is that uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, is the, uh, is the well-known story of the woman caught in adultery. But this story is actually not found in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of John. So we do not treat John 1 to 11 as inspired scripture because we don't find it in many of the earliest manuscripts. So it was probably added later on. So it is not something we should look to for doctrine or for as inspired scripture. So uh, if you want to, to know more about textual criticism and how all of that stuff works, I'm happy to answer that after, after the message. But that's why we are not going to cover 8 verses 1 to 11 in, uh, in this series of John together. So we come to John 12 as we continue in, uh, in our series. And what Jesus is going to tell us here, and what we're going to see, is that you cannot escape this conflict of light versus darkness, and you are going to need to make the choice of which path you will follow. Will you follow the path of light or the path of darkness? So we'll look at uh, three things this morning. First, we're going to look and come to understand what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. We'll look at that first. And then we'll look at why does the world reject Jesus as the light? And then I am going to ask you the question, who will you follow? So let's begin with the first movement of the the message today, that Jesus is the light of the world. In verse 12, Jesus says, 
to the crowd, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why does Jesus say this? Why does he call himself the light of the world? There's some context that is really important to know to help us understand what Jesus is, what he means by this, what he is saying. If you recall from John 7, we are currently celebrating the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. And as Jesus speaks these words, it's the great day of this festival. So the Festival of Tabernacles was something that the Jews celebrated every year to remind them of God's provision for them in the wilderness. So they, these booths, they would build like tents that they, would, that they would live in to remind themselves about how God provided for Israel in the wilderness. But over the course of time, this festival also became an anticipation of the Messiah to come. They would celebrate this in hope of the Lord returning through the Messiah. And on this great day of the feast, they had this water ceremony that Hovard told us about last week and where Jesus talks about the living water that he will give. But now it is night, nighttime. And on the great day at night, they would light up these four huge lanterns in the court of the women where the women could go to worship. And all of the people would gather in the temple with these four huge burning lambs and they would party all night. They would, they would sing and they would dance and the Levitical orchestra would be rocking and rolling and they would, I mean, it was, it was all night. We don't really do that as a church anymore. Uh, but that's what they did. And that was, this was the great day. And in the midst of, of this glorious light shining in the darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The very thing they were celebrating came to reality. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Why was this, what did this light concept mean? I appreciate what D.A. Carson says in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He says, this is the second of the I am statements that are followed by a predicate. Of the incarnate word, we have already learned that the life was the light of men from chapter 1, verse 4. But the light metaphor is steeped in Old Testament illusions. The glory of the very presence of God in the cloud led the people to the promised land and protected them from those who would destroy them. The Israelites were trained to sing, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The word of God, the law of God, is the light to guide the path of those who cherish instruction. God's light is shed abroad through prophetic revelation and salvation. Light is Yahweh in action in Psalm 44, 3. 
Isaiah tells us that the servant of the Lord was appointed as the light to the Gentiles, that he might bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. The coming eschatological age, that is the end times age, since the coming age would be a time when the Lord himself would be the light for his people. Perhaps Zechariah 14.5 is especially significant with its promise of continual light on the last day, followed by the promise of living waters flowing from Jerusalem. The great burning lights of the Feast of Tabernacles resonate with such strains. And already in the fourth gospel, the dawning of the light and the coming of Jesus has been a significant theme. In this age of an inaugurated but not yet consummated kingdom, however, the light is still in mortal combat with darkness. That's where I took the title for this this sermon. In light of all these glorious things, As the kingdom is now and not yet, as Jesus comes, the light is still in mortal combat with the darkness. But what can we learn about Jesus being the light in chapter 8? Well, here in verse 12, Jesus says he is the light of the world, meaning he is not just the light for Jews. He's not just the light for Israel Or for Judah, he is the light of the world. And as Isaiah says, he will be a light for the Gentiles also. He's a light for you and me. The very hope of the Jews became our hope as well by the incarnation of Jesus. The light of the world. We also read in verse 40, that Jesus is the truth from God. Jesus says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Light and truth are closely related in the Gospel of John. When we talk about light, we also talk about knowledge, about truth. So when Jesus is the light of the world, he is the truth for the world. That's why we read his word in Norway and in America and wherever we come from, because he is the truth for the world. So Jesus is the light of the world for all people. He's the way of life. Again, in verse 12, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So light means life. It means truth. And indeed, how else is Jesus the light of the world? Well, the last thing Jesus said to really tick off the Jews was in verse 58, where Jesus says he is God himself. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am And for Jesus to say, I am, is to bring us back to Exodus 3, where Jesus revealed his name to Moses the first time 
to the people of God was the personal name of God revealed, Yahweh, Y-A-H-E-W. I am what I am. Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the great I am. And here Jesus, as the light of the world, says, before Abraham was, I am. And the darkness picked up stones to throw at him because of it. Why was God incarnate rejected by his own people? To return to this theme that we get in John in the prologue, he came to his own and his own received him not. And the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Why did they hate Jesus? Now this comes to our second movement in the sermon. The reason that Jesus was rejected is because this world belongs to the darkness. This world belongs to the darkness. And in verse 12, excuse me, in verse 23, Jesus said, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. What does Jesus mean by this world? John can use the word world in a couple different ways in this gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He can use the world in the sense of the people of this earth. Uh, John can use the world in terms of the earth itself. But sometimes he uses the word world to refer to the devil's dominion. The system of the enemy. And that's the context in which Jesus is speaking here and of which he will explain more later on in in his dialogue and his argument with the Pharisees here. But in this context, the world belongs to the darkness of the enemy. Paul calls the devil the prince and the power of this air, of this present world. Um, he'll also refer to the devil's dominion as the kingdom of darkness. When he says that in Colossians, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the context of world here is the devil's system. It is the system that promotes the devil's desires. We see in, in verse 42... When Jesus tells the Pharisees that they are children of the devil, he talks about their father. He says, your father is the devil, and your will is to do your father's will. Your your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All of these things today we see 
in the news. We see in our cities. We see in our workplaces. Why do people think that you're an idiot? If you say that there are people are either boys or girls based on gender, it's because people hate truth and they hate God and they want to be able to define their own identity. They don't want God to define their identity. Why do people call you hateful and a hater of women when you defend the rights of the unborn? And you say that murdering babies in a mother's womb is bad. It's because they are of the darkness. They are children of the devil. Why do people write bad things about you in the media? Because they hate truth. And they are of the darkness. Why are Christians beheaded today in parts of the world or shot or burned? It's because these people are of the darkness and they hate the light. All of the lusts of the flesh that are celebrated are the things that come naturally to people who are of the darkness. Murdering innocent people, murdering God's people, or being against the punish, uh, being against punishing evildoers and murderers, with uh, dare I might say capital punishment, which God allows, is because people hate the light, and they love darkness. There is no truth in them. Why do politicians lie to you? It's because they are of the darkness. And why do they want to silence you? It's because they hate the light. And when Jesus told the truth, they picked up stones to kill him. And they even thought they got away with it when they got Pilate to crucify him on a cross. And they're going to do the same things to you as they did to Jesus. If you are a child of the light, they will try to arrest you, try to discredit you, try to silence you. And they might even try to kill you. As they did Tyndale. And as they have done to many today, still today. So I want to close and end this sermon by asking you the question, who will you follow? Who will you follow? For those who choose to follow Jesus, we have some great promises. Jesus says, uh, as I've read already in verse 12, he says, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You will have light. You will have, as Jesus says in verse 31, 
He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will be free. You will not live bound in slavery to sin and to death and to misery in this life. You will have the light and you will have joy and you will have freedom and you will know the truth. You will see things as they are. And ultimately, friends, you will never taste death. Though we will, unless the Lord uh, chooses to come in our lifetimes, we will all go to the grave. Our bodies will be decomposed and returned to dust. But our souls will be with the Lord. And on the great day, this world will be renewed even as our bodies will be raised from the dust and our souls will be saved at last. And Jesus says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So friends, what we are doing today is something that will never stop. Even when we go our own ways in this world, we will celebrate with one another in the new creation and worship our Lord and the Lamb who is seated on his throne. They might stone us. They might kill us. They might persecute us. But the light shall never overcome. Excuse me. The darkness shall never overcome the light. I got to be careful what I say. The darkness shall not prevail But what if you choose to follow the darkness? It's very easy to follow the darkness because life is a lot smoother for you if you just go along with what the world wants you to say. It's a lot easier at your workplace if you just go along and celebrate the sin that the workplace is celebrating to demonstrate that they're woke and that they're with it. But about when you need to stand against it, It's a lot easier to stay in the darkness because when you do, your sin doesn't need to be exposed. But the reality is, friends, that for those who remain in darkness, they will die in their sins. And an even greater reality is that there are still many people in the church today who call themselves Christian, who they maybe even look very spiritual, that are just like these Pharisees who will die in their sins. There are priests and there are pastors who will die in their sins because they actually are there for their own glory. And there are people who go to church once or twice a year just to make God happy and make sure that they have their hell insurance. And they can show, yeah, I'm a Christian. They will die in their sins. Because they don't actually like God. They don't actually like his word. They only like the image of God that they've created for themselves. And they want religion on their terms. And they will die in their sins. And so my exhortation to you is to come to the light. Come to the truth of God's word. Don't fashion a God in your own image and a religion according to your own desires. 
Don't fool yourself because you're still in darkness if you do that and you will die in your sins as these Pharisees who were the most religious of all people in Israel died in their sins. So what is your choice? Will you walk the path of light? Follow Jesus? Or will you remain in darkness? Even if you kind of put some religious clothes on every now and then. What's your choice? But friends, the good news is that the light shines in the darkness, as John says in John 1. And the darkness has not overcome it. And of those many themes of light in the Old Testament, we can embrace for ourselves, as I read in our scripture reading earlier, what the Lord says in Malachi 4, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. So it might look like we are hard-pressed today. It certainly looked like Jesus was hard-pressed in his day. But the Son of Righteousness will rise on the last day, and God's people will walk with freedom and with joy, and indeed will even share in the judging of the nations. And that's why you're here today in Uoland. That's why we're in Stavanger, to shine as lights in the darkness and to proclaim life to those around us that no one will be without excuse on the last day. So what is your choice? Will you walk the path of light following Jesus or stay in darkness and die in your sins? That's the choice before you. You're learning more and more about Jesus in John as he's being, the glory of Christ is being shown chapter after chapter in greater fullness. And who will you follow? And I pray that you will follow Christ and have the light of life. That you will be with Tyndale who are willing to give up anything to scatter the darkness with the light of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that it is as true of us as it was for Tyndale that each one of us could say to scatter darkness by the light of your word, the loss of land and life, I'll reckon slight. I pray that you would enable us to take courage by these words from John and these words of Jesus, that we would follow him no matter what the consequences are in this world, that we would fear God rather than man, that we would not fear the one who can cut off our head, 
but fear the one who can throw our soul and our body into hell. But having said that, Lord, I trust that those here are followers of the light, and I pray that your light would shine brightly, and I pray that you would strengthen us in your grace, that Uh, Any darkness that is in Norway shall not overcome, and any darkness that is in this world shall not overcome it. Lord, we pray that that Jesus would be with us as we know he is, that we would feel his presence, and that you would give us courage even if they choose to pick up stones against us. In his name we pray. Amen.